Okay. So first of all, I want to um, thank you everyone for joining and uh, want to qualify the word of the uh, title of what we're talking about today. I use the words why we are moving to Israel and people were asking if I actually meant that we're moving to Israel physically, that we're actually going to Israel. And what I mean by the word we is, am I talking about love and family? And the truth is that yes, love and family is moving to Israel, that's true. But what I meant with the word we, I meant the royal we. I meant that all of us are moving to Israel. A friend of mine works in, uh, has some connections, or everyone thinks they have connections, right? To the applications for people who are trying to uh, emigrate to Israel. He told me that Israel has received almost 200,000 applications, which is about 20 times more than the average amount of applications it gets every year. So there are lots of people which are actually planning to immigrate to Israel, make Aliyah. And while that's an amazing thing for some people, it may not be the right thing for you. I want to unpack a little bit what's going on and how we should um, understand this phenomena that we see that's, that, that's happened. There was this little boy named Timothy who was in the second grade, or he was about to go into the second grade, but he, his mother got a phone call from the second grade teacher. And the teacher says, I'm sorry, but I cannot accept your son in my class this year because I heard about your son's misbehavior last year in the first grade. So if you want me to accept your son, there's only one way and one way only. And that is your son has to begin his day with Ritalin. Just take some Ritalin in the morning and calm him down and then he'll be able to go into my classroom. So the mother says, listen, I, I can't uh, give him Ritalin now in second grade because if he has Ritalin in the second grade, they'll hear about him in the third grade and then he won't be able to find a shidduch. He'll never, no one's going to want to marry him. He'll never get into college and it's impossible. You can't do this to my son. I'm sorry, ma'am. I just can't accept him in my class if he's not going to take Ritalin. Do you know how many children I have in my house every morning to prepare their lunches and to get on their shoes and their socks and tie their shoes? Do you want to come to my house and and give him the Ritalin every morning. You know how many things I have on my head. You know what, ma'am? I'll give him the Ritalin in school. Let him come to school, and I'll do this privately, secretly. No one will know, and let him have the Ritalin in school. Mother really couldn't refuse that. She had no thing to counter that. So the, Timothy arrives on the first day of school, and the teacher calls him over, and the teacher says, Timothy, you know, every morning, I'm going to go. I'm going to call you over, and I'm going to ask you to bring me a coffee from the teacher's lounge. That's gonna be our code. Here's this bottle of Ritalin. I want you to go to the teacher's lounge and bring me a coffee and take Ritalin. So Timothy says, okay, wonderful. After a month, the mother discusses her son's second grade teacher with her son, Timothy. Timothy, how do you like your teacher? Timothy says, what a wonderful teacher. This teacher listens to me he asks me questions. He pays attention to me. I feel that he really cares about me and wants to hear from me. Wow, Timothy, that's amazing. Do you know what brought about this change? Oh, 
Timothy says, I know exactly what brought about this change. You see, every morning, the teacher tells me to go and bring him a coffee from the teacher's lounge, but that's just our code. What really is happening is the teacher wants me to take Ritalin. So I go to the teacher's lounge and I make the coffee and I take the Ritalin and I put it right in the coffee. There are many different um, things that we attribute to the circumstances we're in, the scenario that we're in. And if only something would change and then I would be able to do A, B, and C. But I can't do A, B, and C right now because of D, E, and F. As soon as D, E, and F change, then I'll be able to think about A, B, and C. So it's, it's possible that because of the one thing that everyone knows they can rely on every day in this current condition that we're in during this pandemic, the one thing that we all can rely on every day, consistently, constantly, every day, is change. The Talmud says that when you throw a twig into the air, it lands on its root side. I'm not sure what the physical phenomenon of the Talmud is referring to, but what it metaphorically means is that when someone is thrown into the air and they don't know what's happening next, you gravitate towards your roots. So some people have this experience of state of upheaval, and what happens as a result is we gravitate towards our root side, which for a Jew means we gravitate towards Israel. There's something in us which is pulling us towards Israel. But does everyone have the same thing in mind when they say they want to go to Israel? <laughs> in the yeshiva in New Jersey, where I studied in Maristown, they once made this parade in the center of Maristown. Maristown is this very big city, but they made a, a, a parade in the center, the city center, and uh, it was called a Mashiach parade. It was a parade in order to publicize the coming of Mashiach. And the yeshiva students really worked hard in it. And they made all these beautiful floats in the parade to portray what life will be like when Mashiach will come. One float is expressing how there, when Mashiach will come, there will be world peace. Another float is expressing how there will be any hunger. Another float is expressing how everyone will occupy themselves with the study of Torah how there won't be any sadness or jealousy. They're beautiful, beautiful floats, incredible. The news covered the parade. One journalist went over to a few bystanders and she asked them, what is Mashiach? One man says, Mashiach, it's a new perfume. Another person said, Mashiach, it's this incredible new handbag that's coming out. Everyone had a guess about this incredible thing that was coming, but they had no idea what it was. They just knew that Mashiach is coming, but they didn't know what Mashiach means. There are two things the Rebbe said globally, for, generically, about moving to Israel. When, in 1991, when the doors of the former Soviet Union opened and there was a mass immigration to Israel, they pointed out that this is actually a sign and the beginning and a taste of how things will be when Mashiach will come, how all the Jewish people will move to Israel. We see something of this in the world, that there is this phenomenon of Jews moving to Israel because it is happening. Mashiach will come 
all of us will move to Israel. So we see something of this happening now. That's the words the Rebbe said. But on the other hand, the Rebbe didn't encourage people to, in, in general, as a generic, Chabad has hundreds of centers and schools and mikvahs and institutions and programs and, and all uh, kinds of health and uh, social, economic kinds of programs in Israel. There's definitely, the Rebbe definitely encouraged lots of his followers to move to Israel, to do various things there. But as a general rule, the Rebbe didn't encourage people to move to Israel for the sake of moving to Israel. So although he pointed out that this is a phenomenon that's happening because Mashiach is coming, he didn't say that we should all do this, which tells us two things, in my opinion, I think. It tells us, number one, that there's some kind of inner energy that may suggest, hey, I should move to Israel, but that energy has to be channeled in the right direction. It may not be the right thing to do physically. It may have something else that I'm supposed to focus on and hone in on and listen to in the words of my soul wanting to go to Israel. There was a chassid, a student of the Tzemach Tzedek, who had a lifelong dream of moving to Israel. And as the Rebbe said, who doesn't? Every Jew yearns to be in Israel. Every Jew wants Mashiach to come. This Jew wanted to move to Israel. And he asked his Rebbe, and his Rebbe told him, make here Israel. That's what he told him. What do those words mean? We're not, we don't want to stay here. We want Mashiach to come, always to move to Israel. Every time we pray, we face towards east because east is the direction of Israel and Jerusalem. That's where we're going. Right now, we're in the time of mourning for the temple, the temple that was built in Jerusalem and Israel. That's what we're praying for. So what is the meaning of us saying that we want to, we want to, uh, move to Israel, and how does that fit with Tzemach Sedek saying to this Jew, who Tzemach Sedek himself is praying every day to move to Israel, how does that fit with make here Israel? What does that mean? There was a, um, a great, great Torah genius. The Rebbe actually called him a genius that the world hasn't seen in millennia. His name was Rabbi Yosef Rosen, and he was a rabbi in a small town called Dvinsk. And his uh, works are studied all over the world in all yeshivas. He has fascinating insight in the laws of the sacrifices. There is a law that when a Kohen, when a priest offers a sacrifice, he has to have the right thoughts while he's offering that sacrifice. If he has the wrong thoughts, the sacrifice is invalid. There are four parts of the of the offering. There is slaughtering the animal. There is walking with the animal. With the, there's accepting the blood of the animal, excuse me. The second stage is to receive the blood of the animal. Then there is carrying the blood from the place the animal slaughtered towards the altar. And the fourth stage of the offering the sacrifice is sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the altar. If the Kohen, if the priest has the wrong thought like for example, he says, I want to, in his mind, he has intent to use the meat of the sacrifice in a different place, a different time he's supposed to, to eat it at the wrong time, eat it at the wrong place, the sacrifice is invalid. 
in these four stages. These four stages are significant because they're considered critical parts of the ceremony. So if one of them is missing or one of them isn't done properly, the wrong intent, it invalidates the whole sacrifice. So what happens if the Kohen has the wrong intent? It's not valid. But the question is, why is his intent so pertinent when the why is his intent so important if we're only talking about him walking from the place of slaughtering the animal towards the altar? There's nothing intrinsically valuable about the Kohen walking from the place of the slaughtering the animal to the altar. Technically, if the priest were to have a very good arm and he was gifted with incredible strength or aim or what have you, and tools, he would suck, he had a super soaker or something, or some water gun, he could somehow, let's say he could, he, it would, if he could send the blood from the place he slaughtered the animal to the altar and sprinkle on the altar without walking, the sacrifice would still be kosher. So why are the Kohen's, the priest's thoughts important when he is just walking from point A to point B? And when the Raghachavar, the Rebius of Rosen answers, is that if God ordained an order to get from point A to point B, you have to walk, and that's part of the service. That's part of what God wants to, wants from you. That's something that is significant and holy and meaningful, and therefore it has to be done with a full attention. Other religions have to believe that the end justifies the means. As long as you have something good in mind, doesn't matter how you get there. Just go towards this direction that you want to get to. Be like Robin Hood, steal from the rich, and give to the poor if that's the mitzvah that needs to get done. That's what other religions believe. Judaism doesn't go for this at all. Judaism says that a mitzvah cannot be done with a sin. A mitzvah has to be done without any mistakes along the way. Because God created the whole world. Judaism is a holistic religion. We believe God created all of us everywhere in all of the cosmos. And therefore, there cannot be that for God's will to be fulfilled. We have to break any of his own rules that he made because he created the world. But it means something more. It also means that the means to an end has intrinsic value. This week in the Torah, we learn about the way the land of Israel was divided among all the tribes. What happened was a Kohen named Elazar took the... Um, breastplate, wore the breastplate, and he took two hats. And one hat, I don't know, hats, he took two different boxes, and in one box he put the names of various places in the land of Israel, area A, area B, area C, and in the other box he put in the names of the various tribes, Ruvain, Shimon, Yehuda, and then God endowed him with prophecy, and he prophesied what was going to happen. He said, I am now going to pick something from this box. I'm not looking what I'm picking, but I'm picking something from this box. And I'm picking up, I'm going to pick up, without looking, the tribe of Shimon. And then I'm going to pick up from this box, area D. So Torah says that while he picks up the, uh, the exactly as he prophesied, that's what happens. He picks up the tribe of Shimon, he picks up area D, Another miracle happens. Besides his prophetic insight to what was going to happen, the outcome of the raffle, the outcome of the lottery, another miracle happens. The actual piece of paper that he takes out of the box starts to talk and says 
I am the lottery of area D, and I am connected to the tribe of Shimon. Shimon is the tribe that will get area D. Now the Talmud says, the Ram and Nisan Goyen writes that God does not do miracles for no reason. So what is the point of God making this seemingly useless miracle, which to us sounds like science fiction or Harry Potter, the paper needs to talk and say, I am the lottery of area D. What does that mean? It's very profound. What it means is God was telling the Jewish people, they have to go and make, they have to go to the land of Israel. They have to be in the land of Israel. Making the land of Israel really isn't just going to a certain place and being there. Making a place, the land of Israel means to convert something which is just physical and to convert this physical thing to something spiritual. It means to transform the physical reality and make the physical reality holy and spiritual. There's one place in the world which is a source of this energy for the whole world, and that's the physical land of Israel. But every place a Jew is, he has to convert and change that place to be a place of Israel. But how do you do that? The way to do that is to learn from the way that God gave us the land of Israel. How did God give us the land of Israel? He gave us through a lottery. What was unique about the lottery? That the means to an end, the lottery spoke, which tells us that there's nothing in life that we could look at as just a means to an end, just a way to get to somewhere else. I was uh, once sent on a midnight mission to Ralph's to buy uh, eggplants. And I buy this singular eggplant and I put it on the counter. And this gentleman in front of me, he looks at me and he says, ah, you don't do it at all. But he says, that must be for Shabbos. I says, it, it, it is for Shabbos. And it was midnight. We sat and talked for a long, long time. And he told me interesting um, events in his life, how his father took ill when he was young. And he and his brothers and sisters would have made a makeshift synagogue in their home in uh, New Jersey. And they had a synagogue in their home every week. And he said that although this makeshift home uh, in uh, the makeshift, makeshift synagogue rather that he and his brothers participated in every week uh, kept all the different rules of a synagogue etc but it was so such a, a weight on he and his brothers to maintain this and he never got to really be a child his entire synagogue experience was all related to his father's ill and he has to take care of his father and his father wants to dive in with the quorum with a group of people. So he never got to like get the joy of Judaism and to play with his friends and, and go to a synagogue and have a, a, a little kid's minion, that kind of like growing up in a synagogue and, and learning about the joy and excitement of Judaism. He never had that experience and, and that really derailed him as he became an adult. And that caused him to decide to discard all of the, the great heritage that he got. This week I was in Cedars and I was visiting a friend of mine and I was in a real rush and it's not easy to get into Cedars now. You have to register in advance and you have to go through a much longer line than usual. And I'm about to uh, leave and then I notice breakfast, lunch and supper of my friend is sitting there untouched next to him. He didn't have, I'm not talking about Cedars, God forbid, I don't know, I'm not casting aspersion on any particular hospital. I'm just saying what happened was that I was in the right place at the right time, and I would have lost it 
had I not realized and not thought about that where I am now means something. There's a great, uh, so what I did was I took something that he was given and I offered it to him and I revived him. He was knocked out and just needed to drink something. And unfortunately, nobody noticed. A whole day went by, he didn't eat, and who knows how long went by since the last time he ate. Me offering him in a straw, this little milk carton of whatever it was, revived him, made him want to eat more. I was just there for a moment, I was in a rush, but I was there for a reason. There is no nothing in life that is just a means to an end. There is no space and no time that you will ever occupy, which is just a way to get somewhere else. Wherever you are, and whatever's going on, no matter how hard it is, I know everyone's going through, everyone has different challenges now they never had before. And our generation has something that the world has never seen before. But where you are and why you are, you're with God, and you just need to focus on what God wants to do right now. Don't say tomorrow, when this changes, then I'm going to focus on what A, B, and C. Treat today as your land of Israel. Just like the Tzemach Tzedek told this Hasid, make here Israel. It's a message to each of us. Make the time that you're in and the place that you're in the land of Israel. It's not about what's happening tomorrow or somewhere else. It's here and now, wherever you are, that is your mission. There was once a group of Hasidim who were waiting to hear a Hasidic discourse from their Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashad. And the custom was, in order to get in the mood of hearing this lofty discourse, you sing a song. Um, uh, and they're singing the song. But these guys were really into their learning and they were really excited to hear Torah from their teacher. So they started to sing the song at an accelerated pace to get to the get to the meat instead of just going through the intro. But their Rebbe said, made a mistake, guys, made a mistake. You cannot run through anything in life. If God says you have to do A before you get to B, then you have to focus completely on A. Not only will that help you do B, but A has value unto itself. Because otherwise, why did God create A? Why is it that I am in this zone right now when I could be in the place which I want to be, which is in B? It must be that where I am and why I am has meaning. There was a great tzaddik whose name was Narashba. He was a doctor. He was an advisor to a king. He was, his advice was sought by people world over, and we've studied his works in all yeshivas all over the world. He was a community leader, and every day he took a walk. And somebody asked him, how do you have the time every day to take a walk? You have so much on your plate. And the Rashba responded, wherever I am, I, I said, I have success in time. What do I mean I have success in time? Wherever I am, I am there completely. That's the Rashba said. And therefore, I'm able, said the Rashba, to take a walk because whatever I'm doing, I do completely and totally. There's a Jewish comedian who has this line. The line is, what are the worst words in marriage? What are the best words in marriage? The best words in marriage are, tell me more. What are the worst words in marriage? Are you done yet? Bringing this home, what we're talking about on a practical level, it means when you go home, after work, and you have your cell phone on, you're half at home, you're half on your cell phone, you're not really present. And the Torah says, make here Israel, stop and think, why are you here? Why did God put you here? Why are you here? 
and turn off the cell phone and let your family know my cell phone is off because now I'm with you, I'm with my family. I'm not supposed to be doing anything else, just be with you right now. Your family will respond. Your children, believe it or not, are sensitive to the ambivalent attention, even though you know you could drive and text and drive and do all kinds of things while you're driving. You can come home, you can hear them, you can respond to them pretty quickly and doesn't look like there's any delay, but that's not what God asks us to do. God asks us to make here Israel. Make here Israel means that you're completely focused on where you are. So instead of making here Israel, instead of using that energy of wanting to go to Israel to actually pick up and change up, change spots in the world to go to a different spot, what I submit we should do is take this energy and substitute, instead of substituting movement for meaning, meaning for movement, substitute movement for meaning. We should find the meaning of why we are where we are and what we're doing and why we need to do whatever we are doing right now. And that will bring about the prophecy of the coming Mashiach, which when the Mashiach will come, we'll all move to Israel physically. How do we do that? It's by bringing the aura of Israel to the whole world, which is accomplished by focusing on your family, focusing on your prayers, focusing on wherever you are, whatever you're doing, not looking at any of life's experiences as just a means to an end to get to somewhere else. Realizing that where you are right now is where you need to be. And that's what I wanted to share. Any uh, questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes or cucumbers? All right. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Bye,